You know, God designed us to have life. When he first created Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them with life and to have life. Not just physical life, but the life of God with them, in them, through them, and him with them, them with him. That was the life designed. But because of their sin, something began that was not in the original design, although it was always part of the plan. Man sinned. And when sin occurred, death occurred. Scientists today call it the second law of thermodynamics or the law of entropy. And it's this, that anything that is in order will eventually lead to disorder. Anything that is living will eventually decay and die. This is a law that scientists understand. You understand it in your house. When you put a room in order and then your kids or grandkids go into that room or your husband, then everything changes. That room does not become more orderly. It becomes more disorderly. And you don't dust your house once and say, done. No, you have to do it again because of the law of entropy. Things that are in order lead to chaos. Things that are living lead to decay and death. That was not part of God's original design, though it was always part of God's original plan. And so when man sinned, death occurred. Adam and Eve began the process of decay physically, and they would one day die. And every other one that has come after them, the same has been true because God caused this new law to exist, the law of sin and death. And so you would think there was no way that law could ever be interrupted. It's interesting how the same scientists that hold to this idea of the second law of thermodynamics and entropy, that things move from order to disorder and from life to decay and death, they're the same ones who often hold to the idea of evolution, that somehow you start from this place of disorder and it somehow ends up in a place of order. There's a problem there. Hello, come on now. Think about all this, right? Just think biblically for just a moment and think reasonably and logically. That's not how it has to happen. That's not the way it happened. It moves from order to disorder. That is the way all things work and exist. And you would think that could never be interrupted. And in the course of natural things, it never could. But God is not the God of just the natural. He's the God of the supernatural. So he does what trips up the natural he sends his son to be born of a virgin, which already trips up the natural. He lives and lives righteously, perfectly, becomes the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He dies like you and I do, but he's not like you and I because he's the great I am. And so what happens on the third day is he comes back to life, breaking every law that we know of in the physical, natural realm, right? He causes life to come out of death and he starts a new law, a law of the spirit and of life in Jesus Christ so that he breaks the natural order of things and can cause life to come out of death. He can cause order to come out of disorder. And so whatever you've walked in in your life, whether it's been sin, shame, regret, death, destruction, chaos, when you come to Jesus, he can bring peace. He can bring order, he can bring harmony, he can bring forgiveness, and he can make right out of wrong, amen? This is our God, this is what he does. This is why Christmas is so important to us because it celebrates the birth of the one who interrupted the order of natural things with the supernatural. He interrupted the second law of thermodynamics, amen? I'm grateful for that. So today, I want us to think, uh, about our last message in this hope series. We looked at this idea that hope is here, 
now. Today I want us to think about this idea that hope gives life. Hope is this very tangible, real quality that we get as believers that gives me a reason to look at tomorrow and think that it's going to be better than today. We're really the only people on the planet that can have that because we believe in the God who can take what has been disorder and make order out of it. He can bring life out of where there has been death. He has a future and a purpose and a plan that's greater than our past. Amen? And so for those who have hope, it actually gives life to them. It gives them a reason to get up out of the bed. It gives them a reason to face their day. It gives them a reason to go to work. It gives them a reason to raise their children. It gives them a reason to do what they do. Hope gives that kind of life. There's a fascinating verse in the book of Proverbs that is from Proverbs 15, uh, 12. So if you'll turn there in your Bible, this is where we're going to hang out today, just really in this one verse. And it kind of gives us both sides of the coin about hope. Because it says, hope that is deferred or is delayed or is drawn out, it makes the heart sick. Now, I realize that the Bible is not a book of psychology, but I'm going to tell you, there's no greater book about psychology than the Bible. I'm telling you, if you want to understand the soul, you want to understand the mind, you want to understand the emotions, you want to understand how to bring peace out of chaos, you have to turn to scriptures because God is the creator of all things and he knows all things and he has given us truth in his word. And so here, uh, Proverbs, they have this curious verse that says, hope deferred, it makes the heart sick. So the word deferred means to be drawn out, to take long to get to, uh, much longer than expected or anticipated. And so when there is a long, long way off before there is any hope. When hope seems to be drawn out past the point of even what's reasonable, when it almost seems as though it doesn't exist, that condition of the mind and the soul of not having hope, it makes the heart sick. Interesting. Oh, the heart sick. It makes the soul sick. Go through difficulty, pain, a soul disease, if you will. It puts the heart and the soul of a man in a place where he is um, filled with discouragement, hopelessness, depression, because they look at tomorrow and they can't see any good. Now, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again today. I have, I feel a reason to be able to talk about this because I have walked in this. I have walked in depression and anxiety and darkness of the soul. So I'm not talking to you today out of theory or out of abstract. I'm talking to you from very real places in my own life that I've walked in in the past. I know what it's like to wake up and look at my day, the next hours ahead, and the future, and it be cloudy, murky, dark, and without a reason to even want to walk into it. To think that staying in bed with the covers over my head is a better option than anything else. That any conversation with anyone else is too painful any interaction with people is too difficult and it would just be better to stay isolated, withdrawn, asleep. Anybody walked there before? I have. I know what it's like to have my hope so cloudy, so dark, so distant, so delayed, so deferred, so removed that it made my heart it put me in a, in a bad spot. It filled me with all kind of anxiety. It filled me with all kind of panic. It filled me with all kind of um, insecurities. It, it fundamentally changed my personality. 
And when there is no hope, that happens. You get to a dark spot, become pessimistic about everything, become paranoid about everybody. You become isolated, withdrawn. And you start having even unexplained physical illnesses. During those years, I went to the doctor more than any other time in my entire life for stuff that could never be fully understood or explained. Because when your heart gets sick, it begins to affect the rest of your body as well. It spills over. And when there is no hope, you find yourself sick. And this verse tells us clearly this is what happens. You see negative all around you. You see only reasons to complain. You see all that is wrong. You see all that is bad. And there is nothing good about the next moment and the next day and your future. Hope that's drawn out and deferred makes the heart truly sick. Now, I'm extremely grateful that this is not the end of this verse. It was not the end for me. Those days were dark. Those days were difficult. But there became a place of hope for me. Because what I was actually going through during that time was that I was a Christian, for one, in the midst of all that. I was involved in ministry in the midst of all that, too. I thought that the only way to get God's smile in my life was by performing more and trying to be good enough and trying to serve enough and trying to do this enough, that enough, this enough, that enough, and only seeing everything I did as not enough. That made me sick. That made me hopeless. That put me in a dark spot. And without hope, that is what happens. Until one day, I know it was through people who were praying for me, and I know it was by the sovereign hand of God, truth clicked and came on for me through God's word that Jesus, his death for me, his resurrection for me, and his presence in me made me accepted before the Father. And I didn't have to stress, fear, worry, strive, perform, think I'm never going to get it. I had it in Christ because of him. A peace settled in my soul that changed me from that moment forward. Grace became the sweetest word I knew that favor was shown to me not by my performance, but by God's grace alone and what Jesus had done for me. And I could have it all by faith, not by working for it. I'm telling you, it changed me. It changed everything about me. It changed how I saw life. It changed my relationships. It changed how I saw God. It changed how I saw even ministry. And it it lit a fire in me. And when I saw this verse, and especially what happens next in this verse, it just all reaffirmed it. The second part of this verse says this. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. When the thing that you've longed for, when the thing that you've wanted, when the thing that you thought could never happen, when it comes, when the desire, the dream, the expectation, the longing, when it comes, it becomes a tree of life. It becomes strong and it grows and it has branches and it has fruit and it gives off life to everyone else around them because the desire came. So when I understood what Jesus had done for me, 
it set me free from all of those fears that it would never happen. And instead, it gave me the realization that it had happened. Hope was here. I was forgiven. I didn't have to keep playing the tapes of my past. I didn't have to wonder if God was still smiling at me or not because I knew Jesus was with me and I was with him. And if God was smiling at him, then he was smiling at me because I was in him. And desire came in that moment. The things I had longed for, the things I had hoped for, all the things that I wondered if I'd ever experienced. Could there be peace? Could I be settled with God? Could there be an end to all this turmoil and darkness and depression? Yes. And it came. And boy, it came a tree of life for me. It became hope for me. And this is what you and I are now called to live in. And I'm telling you, with this year, it's been tough. It's been a hard year in a lot of reasons. The whole COVID thing, the whole mandate thing, the whole cultural shift it feels, all of that has been tough. And if you've had COVID this year, you know that's tough. If you had a loved one who died, or a friend who died because they had COVID, that's tough. It's painful. But I almost think that what has settled over our nation and the world in some ways is more difficult than the disease. And it is this wet blanket of hopelessness that has just settled down and just put a damper on everything and everyone. And it's difficult to look to tomorrow and see that, yeah, it's going to be better. It's going to be okay. It's going to be good. We, as a culture and as a people and as people on this planet, seem to be stuck in the first half of this verse. Hope seems delayed, deferred, drawn out, difficult to see. And it's making the heart sick. And when your heart is sick, it puts you in a bad spot to pick up a lot of other sick. Amen? Even physical. But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, that does not have to be our story. We have the grace of living in this part of this verse. Because... Jesus has come. Jesus did live and die and was resurrected over powerful, over the grave, over sin, over death. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us. We are the church. We have been filled with his presence. There's power when we gather. And the gates of hell will not prevail against what Jesus is doing in us. Amen? We are called to be that kind of people of hope, who live not just with a wish, well, I sure hope things turn out better. No, we live with the confidence Jesus is for us. Jesus is with us. The Spirit of God is in us. He has a purpose for us. He is using and arranging and working all things together for good. They might not be good in the midst, but they are for good in the end. He will get glory and it will be for good. There's purpose in it so I can rest in it. Desire has come. What we've longed for is actually here. We do not have to live any longer in the uncertainty. We are a people of hope. We are those, the New Testament says, who have this hope as an anchor of the soul. It's been dropped down deep into the sovereignty of God, into the solidity of Jesus, into the power of the Spirit. And I don't care what wave comes. I don't care what wind blows. That ship that we are and that we are in will not be moved because our anchor has gone deep. Amen? We are now part of the tree that gives life We are that tree 
And we are those people in our communities, in our families, in this world who have truth, who have answers, who have the word of God, who know what he is going to do next. Jesus has come and he is the one who is the desire of the soul and he is the one who is healing. So what I'd like to do today is take a little bit of a look back at what this past year has been like zeroed in on us as vertical. Because I want you to see some of the things that we get to see from a staff perspective. And I want you to have reason to have hope. We have hope in who Jesus is, the word of God and the spirit of God, God's sovereignty over our lives. But it's good to hear some tangible things every once in a while, some good news, amen? So I wanna give you some good news about some things that have gone on this year at Vertical Church. A couple of points, I'll show you some numbers here in a little bit, but I wanna say up front, I'm gonna say it again in a little bit. Numbers are not what it's all about, amen? But numbers reflect souls, so it's important to see what God is doing. It's important. When Heather and I had all of our children and we would go somewhere and we had five of them, it was not enough to say, yeah, we have some children. How many do you have? I don't know. Numbers don't matter. You know, they're just children. <laughs> Numbers matter. Every one of those children was a soul. Hello? If you're going to Walmart, one of them gets lost, you're looking for that one. I'll leave the 99 to go find the one. Hello? Right? That's right. So, Numbers will be important here, but they're not the main thing. So let me tell you some things from a staff perspective that we see has happened this year at Vertical. The first one is this, a fresh move of God's spirit in changing lives. You know, um, if you've been here some this year, you know this is true. Um, as the year opened in 2021, there was a lot of uncertainty, you know, there was a lot of speculation about what was going to happen and what's going to be the church. Are we going to keep gathering? Is it all going to be online? What's all that stuff going to be? And we marched ahead with what we believe were God's orders for us. And in the midst of it, we've seen God do some powerful things. Uh, we've seen it happen in different levels. We've had, yeah, amen, amen. We've seen it happen um, in our, among our men in our church. And it's been exciting through the, the men's conference, the men's breakfast, and uh, men gathering together, uh, things that have happened here in this service, even this past year, to see men rise up and accept responsibility for leading in their home. Uh, there, there's one, one man, in, uh, one of many, uh, that watches online only, but I keep up with him. And I talk to him every week. And uh, this year has been a year of transformation for him because he told me, he said, I'd never, ever prayed with my wife before. But I heard you talk about the importance of praying with your wife and praying as a family together. He said, so I started. He said, it was awkward, but I did it. He said, and now... She's asking me every day, are we going to pray together? And they do. And they pray for our services. They pray for you. Uh, they pray for God's hand to be here in our church. Uh, story after story like that of, of men accepting responsibility to lead in their home, to stand for faith, to lead their family, to teach their children, uh, to not expect others to do the work and responsibility that God has given them. So we've seen it in our men. We've seen it in senior members in our church. Now I get put into that group sometimes when we're sitting with our staff and they say, uh, yeah, there was this uh, old guy that came, you know. I said, really, how old was he? Oh, probably 50 or something. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's change some terms here at the table a little bit. So uh, our staff now says, uh, you know, that older man that came, so a little nicer to me and others, but, um, you know, there's a funny thing that happens. The older we get, sometimes the more set in our ways we get. Hello? Yeah. Nobody wants to admit that, but it's true. But I have seen this year God 
move in senior members in our church in ways that you might not expect or would not expect. Hearts that set in a course all of a sudden just soften under the Spirit of God and change, actually change the kind of person that they are. That's it's beautiful to watch. I've seen it uh, in our young people. I've seen hunger come alive this year for our students. We'll talk more about this in just a moment. We've seen it in our children uh, as children are learning scripture and uh, finding confidence in God's word and strength in their faith. And we've seen it in our women as well as they've gathered and deepened their walk in our women's Bible studies and just in relationships in general as they are pursuing Christ and walking in his ways. We've seen God move his spirit move among us. And we've seen it here in our services. There's been some services this year where um, we all kind of weren't sure what was going to happen by the end of that service. Amen? And God moved, stepped in, and transformed and changed some things and changed people in the process. So that's one of the things that we've seen this year. Uh, we've seen it through uh, the series. I just want to walk quickly back through some of the series we've done this past year, just to jog your memory. We started this past year with a series called Deeper. Uh, I think I got three weeks into it, and then COVID time came for me, and I was out for a while. So we didn't even get to finish that series. And then coming out of that, breathe became very important for me. God used that time of me learning to breathe again to spiritually learn to breathe. And God moved through us during that, the whole spiritual adulting uh, as we got into uh, late spring and summer, and then the God who restores all things. Uh, God did restore a, a lot in our church during that time, relationships, and um, you're gonna see some things happen even in these next months that are the fruit of seeds that were planted then. Uh, we had a, a wedding here in our service recently, uh, some things that were started back then. You're going to see some more weddings come this year that were seeds planted back during that time. God restoring some things, bringing people together, and giving hope for the future. So I can't wait for those. Those are coming. And then the Join the Movement series. We saw God do some powerful things through that, and most recently, The Blessing. It was just a month-long series. That's when God really began to transform some lives. So I'm thinking, we got to get back to that number six passage and do some more stuff here. But uh, that, was, that was just this past year, uh, the series. And uh, you can still go on YouTube and to our, our YouTube channel. You can watch these. They are still there. Uh, a second thing that we saw this year was uh, a greater boldness to stand in faith. You know, um, this year, uh, Christians face some challenges in our nation different than we've faced in this generation. It's been in some ways um, easy and comfortable to be a Christian up until these last couple of years. But now there's a great cost and there's lines being drawn in the sand. And a lot of churches today, sadly, are choosing to buy into cultural movements and not standing in truth. And as a result, I believe what God is doing is purifying the church. A lot of things that are side issues or cultural things that churches have grabbed a hold of, um, I'll, I'll just use a phrase that the principle is true. Go woke, go broke. Uh, and and it, it, it's true business. It's true in church. You buy into woke, your church gonna go broke. I don't, I'm not talking about just financially, but spiritually. You will, you will lose because God will not bless that. But what we've seen is the, the stronger the stance we've taken, the deeper the line in the sand, the higher we've lifted the cross and the calling to the cross, the more we have seen lives changed. The more we have seen God bless, the more we have seen people encouraged and drawn and stand and find strength. And believers, even here within our own body, have gained conviction, greater conviction to stand. And they've had to in their workplace, 
Sometimes it has meant even the loss of a job. Sometimes it has meant a change in friends. But it has deepened resolve and deepened faith, and God is purifying even the church in this day. And it just reaffirmed for me this idea that, and this truth from Scripture, that what the enemy meant for evil, God is using for good. And the enemy would love to sift and uh, distort and destroy, and he is. But God is using even that to raise up a true church who is walking in righteousness and truth. Amen? And we've seen that happen this year. Uh, I think that the third thing tie in and is a result of that, and it is this. A new infusion of life, vision, and unity here in our church. Uh, we've seen it. You sense it. Uh, I love it, and I hear it often. People walk in on a Sunday morning and say, the moment I walked in the door, I knew the Spirit of God was in this place. Hey, you can't create that with right lighting, music, and, you know, curtains and setting. That all helps, you know. It's necessary, and it's good. But we can do all the setting of the table we want, but there's no blessing on the food if the Spirit doesn't show up. Amen? And he has been here, and he is here, and that's happening. There's a, there's a new infusion of life, and I'm, I'm grateful for everyone who has, uh, all those who have come even just this year to Vertical. Many, many new families. I'll give you some numbers on that here in a little bit, but I really wanted to drive home this point that uh, there's a new sense of vision and purpose and direction and a sense of us and we and our king, amen, all together moving forward. And we've seen that. So let me show you some numbers. Again, I'll say it one more time. Numbers is not what it's all about. We're not seeking numbers. If we were seeking numbers, we wouldn't be taking some of the hard stances that we've taken this year, amen? We would be doing things a lot differently. But God has blessed the more we've deepened the message, the more he's broadened the ministry, which that's just an important principle to begin with. You deepen your life message, God will broaden your influence. You, you lessen your depth, he'll shrink your influence. Just, that's a whole other message. Here's some, here's some beautiful numbers, though, from this past year. Let's talk about baptisms. 11 baptisms this past year. Those represent new lives, adults and children. Amen. People who have not only put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they've said, I want to take a public stand. I want to make this real in front of everybody else. I want to, I want to identify with Christ publicly because this is what my life is now going to be about. In fact, uh, next Sunday, we're going to be baptizing here again. So I hope you'll be here for that. I know it's January 2nd and uh, you'll have been celebrating on January 1st. That's okay. We'll be here as God's people. We're going to baptize next Sunday morning. I'm excited about that. Uh, 88 new members in our church just this year. Amen. Yeah. And uh, those are the folks that are not just new here, but they came to our Next Step event, uh, which is an event that we have where we serve a meal and we talk about the ministers of the church. Each staff person gets up and talks about their vision and we, we commit to them as a church what our, our covenant is and then they commit to us and we go down the road together following what Christ has for us. We've had 88 do that this past year and we have already people waiting for our Next, next Step event, which is coming up soon. And then uh, 139 people volunteering in ministry here. Amen. Hey, it's good. Uh, there's another rule you often find in church ministry called the 2080 rule uh, that says 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I'm sure you've heard a similar principle in whatever your line of work is. It holds true in most churches, but praise God, not here. There's a, there's a willingness and a heart and desire to serve, and people are, whether it's in children's ministry or in the parking lot, helping park cars or being an usher in here or working in youth ministry or whatever it is. It's a lot of folks volunteering, and I'm excited about that. Let me show you some other numbers. Uh, 83 in our children's ministry. Wow, that's a lot. Amen. 
Hey, and that's just on a Sunday morning. That's a Sunday morning average. So uh, I know today's a little bit different, but on a typical Sunday morning, um, from birth all the way up through fourth grade, and then some of the fifth and sixth grade volunteers that are helping lead worship, there's 83 in that whole mix. This is volunteers and children included. This does not include our, uh, our extreme ministry. There's, we've had 21 of those. They meet separately from Sunday mornings. They meet on um, Sunday evenings. And that's our fifth and sixth grade ministry. And so uh, Micah's done a great job with them. They, they come and learn in an environment designed just for fifth and sixth graders, which is a little bit different than for K4 and K5ers, right? And... Um, and a lot of high energy activities there. And then they come back and they serve on Sunday mornings. And then our youth ministry, uh, they're averaging 41 now on Sunday nights when they meet. And so I'm excited. Truett has come on staff this year. There's a new excitement, new vision, new hope in our uh, youth ministry and uh, teaching that's happening there. Uh, Truett's real focus is on helping students understand truth and scripture. Yeah, amen. And that's um, just so grateful. Um, that's needed in every generation, but boy, today, my goodness. Uh, so to be the church who's not just uh, serving pizza and playing games, that's not what they're doing. I promise you. Uh, Truett's got a message for them and he's got notes on screen a lot like I do. And sometimes I look at his, and I think, wow, that's a lot more than what I've got. And, you know, it's deep stuff. And he's walking them through these things. And they're, they're challenged in their walk, not just in knowledge, but in application of their faith, how they live that stuff out. So uh, those are all exciting numbers. Uh, let me give you another number attached to this. I don't have a screen for, but uh, we've been talking to you about our Main Street Center, which is where our students meet, which is where our women's ministry meets, which is where the men's ministry meets. We have a lot of activities and groups that meet in there. And we've presented to you this goal of $60,000. We've been telling you goals each week or, or process or progress each week. We're now up to $56,076. Yeah, amen, amen. So uh, here at, at year end, we're just less than 4,000 away from that goal. And, and um, some of the work has already begun over there. The appearance uh, part has begun. We still have the air conditioning and some new furniture and some more... Uh, pieces are going to be added to that whole mix over there that's going to be really attractive and helpful in ministry. Uh, let me show you a few other numbers. Three new staff members this year, True, yeah, and Roseanne and Alexa have all been a great addition to our staff. Uh, it was great, the fact that they were all active members already of Vertical, so there wasn't this learning curve of all trying to adjust to one another and it'd be awkward and all this kind of stuff. It just was seamless right away and uh, hit, the, hit the ground running and you see all that in the ministry. I'm excited because I think we are set for a long time to come of what God's going to do in our church with some great staff members. You're going to hear more about that today. Uh, 20 on average in our women's Bible study and 28 men showing up on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. Not just for some breakfast but for some intense Bible study. Amen. Man, it's good. It's good stuff. Uh, so those are all tangible, good things. Let me, let me tell you some, some uh, online numbers. And again, online is not everything, but it represents people. 1,200 Facebook followers. That's a lot of folks following vertical. Amen? And if you're following vertical, you know that there's some not just flashy pictures being put up out there, but there's stories, there's truth, there's encouragement to help you walk in the faith, stuff that's easy to share and get off to other people. And, you know, it, it's really, it's this generation's version of back in my day, what was called Tuesday night visitation. Really? You know, back in the day, there was Sunday, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, and for the real committed, Tuesday night visitation. You came to the church and someone gave you a name and said, hey, go visit this person. You're like, okay, here we go. You know, and so you go visit these people who were new in the neighborhood or, you know, someone wanted you to go visit them or whatever. Right now, all it takes is a click on social media and you can share a message that the church puts out with your friends and family. That sounds a whole lot like visitation to me, right? But it can happen in a click. You can share a message of hope. That's happening out there. On our YouTube channel, we put our messages up there. We started adding worship this past, just this past year. So you can go watch. Uh, we're putting up isolated songs 
uh, each week. So we're slowly building this library of worship songs out there. You can share those as well. But just this past year, 3,832 hours watched on YouTube. That's a lot. That's a lot of people spending time listening to God's word. And then 469 Instagram followers uh, seeing what God is doing here in our church uh, through that. We're excited about all of that, what God is doing. So let me talk for just a little bit about 2022, some things that are coming up and ahead for us because hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it's a tree of life. And we have some good news. And we have the message of good news. And what is ahead, I believe for us as a church and as believers, is greater than our current and our past. There is hope. I'm not talking wish. I'm not talking pie in the sky. I'm talking confident hope in what God is doing, has done, and will do. Amen? So uh, when I look ahead and our staff has looked ahead, we actually start a process. We started a process back in August of this year. And we go through really what turns into a, a three-day intensive over three weeks, but we do it a single day, one each week, an intensive look at what God's doing in our church, where we are, our community, and what can we do to further the gospel? What can we do to truly make disciples? Because that's what we're called to do. That's keeping the main thing the main thing, making disciples. That's what we do. Everything else needs to support the main thing, making disciples. Um, so we've spent time doing that, and we've come up with what we believe is a plan uh, for that. And so I want to give you just some highlights of that today so that you can know some things that you can expect here in the future. Number one, we are going to continue to do the main thing. We are going to make disciples. This is what we're called to. We're going to do it in student ministry, children's ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry. We're going to do it in here. We're going to do it on the streets. We're going to do it wherever God calls us to do it. But that is what we're called to, to help people come to know Jesus Christ and then grow in him, mature in him, become a follower of him, know how to live out this faith. We're going to lift him up and we're going to live him out and we're going to teach others how to do the same thing, make disciples. That's the main thing. We're going to continue to do that this year. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to raise the standard. We've heard God clear through this past year. From Isaiah 59, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. This is not the time to cower. This is not the time to bunker in your hunker and hunker in your bunker, all that. This is not the time to, you know, uh, recluse. This is not the time to shy away. This is not the time to camouflage and blend in. This is the time to lift up the standard. This is the time to boldly proclaim what we believe. This is the time to stand out. It's what's needed in our world today. Even, even nationally, if we want to see change happen in our nation, we, as God's people, are going to have to come to an end of our fear and come to the beginning of our confidence and faith and stand and speak and boldly proclaim. Sure, we're going to be here for, the, for healing and we're going to be here for reconciliation. And yes, we're going to be here to provide grace and forgiveness. But nobody knows that they need forgiveness if somebody doesn't lift up the standard of holiness and righteousness first. And that's us as the church. That's what the Spirit of God is doing. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So when you sense him in you moving to stand up, to have courage, to have boldness, that's him. And we listen to him and we move with him. So you're going to see it in some very tangible ways this next year in our church. We're going to raise the standard for what it means to be uh, an active part of the body. We're going to raise the standard for uh, what it means to not just hear the gospel, but respond to the gospel. It's one thing for us to all come together and say, oh, isn't this nice? But God calls us to lift up the standard, boldly proclaim truth, and us as a people not just nod our head and say, nice, but instead to repent and change our ways and walk after him and walk by faith. So I'm already 
for me personally, I'm thinking, okay, God, what new areas of change are you going to call me to in 2022? And that's what we should be thinking about as a church. We're going to raise the standard and walk by faith in him. And then the third thing is a vision for more. God hasn't called us to complacency, redundancy, or just being comfortable. When desire comes, it becomes a tree of life. Trees don't grow for themselves. Trees give off fruit and shade and life. And so as a tree, we, vertical, has been called to be a giver of life. And we can't be comfortable with us four and no more. There's a hurting world that's desperate for the gospel. And we know uniquely in our area, if you want to draw about a, a three to five mile radius, if you're honest with yourself and me in this moment, you'll, you'll understand this. We do not live in an impoverished area. It's just true. Hello? We live in an area for many, many people, they have what they need. They have enough physical things, but they're still poor. Not financially, but spiritually. They're impoverished. In fact, the fact that they have physically tangible stuff deceives them to the emptiness that's in here. But all it takes is a quick survey of their family and their own soul to know they broke on the inside and that's where we come in because we have the hope we have the answer we have the answers to the soul sickness we have the answers to the marriage conflict we have the answers to all the issues related to parenting we have the issues for all that's going on in the world today and it's not arrogant for us to say that it's bold and right and faith-filled to say that. If we don't say that, then we're denying the reality that the Spirit of God is within us and His Word of God is complete that's been handed to us. Amen? So we're going to raise the standard and we're going to have a vision for God doing more in our midst and through us. And that may mean some sacrifices for us, may mean some challenges for us. Um... If you've been here lately, you know this room gets pretty full. I'm going to believe that God's going to continue to bring folks in because they are still moving to this area. Hey, uh, the Clampets thought California was a place to be. <laughs> no more. <laughs> if the Clampets were still alive, they'd be heading to Texas is what they'd be doing. Um, and people are. And homes and housing divisions are being built and it's time. Um, for us to be ready. Uh, sometimes I'll just drive through uh, some back roads back here that used to be back roads and open pastures and now they're just home after home after home and they're just, it's just stunning to see what God is bringing to our area and so uh, we will have a vision for more. But even on a personal level, there's this funny thing that I think you and I are called to as believers of being we're called to contentment, but there should at the same time be a, a sense of um, holy discontentment. It says, God, I want to know, I want to know you more. I want to know more of you. I want to know more of your ways. I want others to see. I want to see more of others seeing you. So next week, start a brand new series, 2022, called more. Expanding your capacity to know God. We're going to talk about some very tangible ways that you and I can expand the capacity of our soul to know God. And I'm going to do something I hadn't done here at Vertical. I've got this giant marker board I'm going to put on stage. And I'm going to, we're going to teach on Sunday mornings by marker board. It's going to be fun. So get you a notebook, get you a pad and paper because you only want to 
you know, draw some of the stuff I'm going to draw or you're going to bring some, you know, your camera or whatever, take pictures. It's going to be, it's going to be a great study to talk about how to expand our capacity to know God more. That's what's coming up. Let me finish today with one verse and then we'll be finished. Let's bring it back to a personal level here. Book of Hebrews says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. I hope you have some things that you're hoping for in this next year. I hope there's some things that God has stirred in you and is stirring in you. And I hope you're listening to them. And I hope you're agreeing with them. I hope there's some goals for your family, for you personally, for your influence, and for God to use you. I hope you have that. Because that's the part that faith is supposed to play in us. Faith, it's the tangible part of things hoped for. So hear God when he puts hope in you for something. Listen to him. When he gives you a, a longing, don't let it make you bitter that you don't have it right now. Let it awaken faith in you to trust God for it to happen. Amen? Whether it be in your marriage, your children, your family, or something very, very personal for you, let faith drive you to that end because there is hope in our Lord Jesus. The fact that he came as a baby, says there's a reason to hope. You and I have that reason. Hear him when he speaks longing, desire, expectation in your soul. Let it be a tree of life to you. Let it be tangible because that will give you life. And that's what hope was intended to do. Would you bow your heads? Father, today we thank you so much for by your grace showing us your goodness. For doing that through the birth of your son, life and his death and his resurrection by the Holy Spirit within us. Thank you, O Spirit of God, that you speak to us and teach us and lead us and you speak life to us. I pray that we will listen to the longings, the desire, and the truth. That it might drive us ahead with joy. That it might truly produce the fruit of listening to that voice. To you, O Spirit. The fruit of love. The fruit of great joy. The fruit of peace that settles us. The fruit of real patience in the midst of the waiting, the fruit of kindness, goodness, and faithfulness to the task, and self-control, that those would all be evident in our life because we hold to you, because we depend upon you, and because you have awakened hope within us. We are grateful this morning, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name.